Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, Christopher R. Mim, the writer and director of the films of the Mimiverse, but you already knew that because you've been listening to this since the beginning, I imagine. I think this is episode five or six, maybe, since we started doing this monthly monthly audiocast. Whatever it is, welcome. Thank you for listening. Now, this month, I'm, I'm going to try and keep it somewhat brief, partially because I'm a busy man. And that, that's a great segue to jump right into what's going on. Danny Johnson Saves the World. The next movie is complete. It is done. I am in the stage now where I'm authoring the DVD, which in, if you aren't aware of what that is, uh, you know, obviously when you buy a DVD or Blu-ray, there's menus and there's, you know, cool stuff, special features. Someone has to put that together. That's called authoring. That's what I'm doing pretty much sucking up all of my time, and it's kind of crunch time because there's a certain window within which it must be completed so that I can get it to the manufacturer in time so that I can get it back for the big world premiere. So I have about two weeks, two and a half weeks, to complete it, and I'm about halfway done, so I'm I'm doing good. The big thing right now that's sucking up most of the time is I'm adding an Esperanto audio track to the DVD, which, if you discovered the movies through the Esperanto language, saluton, and thank you for listening. I should, I guess I should have been saluton and duncon for listening. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to say for listening in Esperanto. I have tried really hard to pick up Esperanto, and I suck at it. I suck at languages, which is weird, because when I'm putting the Esperanto language tracks in, I pretty much well know what they're saying. I'm, I'm doing really well with recognizing, after all these years, uh, recognizing the language. I just can't speak it. I can recognize it, not speak it. Maybe that's the first steps toward learning a language. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm, I'm knee-deep in, in getting that done. If you've been paying attention when this comes out, which should be around the 2nd of April, I imagine, you should have by now seen that the Danny Johnson Saves the World poster is out and available for purchase on the website at sentyouphoria.com. Please pick one up. I only ever do really a, about a, a single run of about 100 posters. So once those are gone, I usually don't restock just because they're not, you know, they're not huge sellers. So I tend to just do the one and go. I have restocked a couple titles like The Giant Spider that sells very well, but some of the other ones like Cave Women on Mars or, or Terra from Beneath the Earth, I've, I've, you know, we went through that initial 100 and that was it. So if you're interested in perhaps picking up a Danny Johnson poster, I'd say do it sooner rather than later. Uh, one of the things that I just mentioned a little bit ago, which I should hit on again because it is very, very important, I am authoring the DVD and I'm under crunch time here to get it done because I want to have it in time for the official world premiere of the film. Now, the film will premiere at the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights, Minnesota on May 20th. May 20th, that's a Wednesday. We're going back to Wednesdays after last year we did a Saturday. And for as fun as it was, it was very expensive and time consuming. And, and we did weekdays pretty much exclusively for all the other films. Uh, last year we wanted to do something a little different. And we did it. And it was worth it. But it was expensive. So we're going back to weekdays because we always did well on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So we went back to Wednesday. So May 20th, which. Michael Kaiser, the guy who plays the monster in all these movies and plays the robot in Danny Johnson, name should be familiar to you if you've seen one or five of my movies. He mentioned that he realized that when I told him we were doing May 20th, he said, ah, that sounds familiar in some way. So he looked it up. May 20th was the exact release date of Terror from Beneath the Earth in 2009. So that's that's interesting. So the, the premiere is on May 20th. We're also having a, another Night Before the Thing pre-party 
uh, this time because uh, we made this film that is, in essence, a quote-unquote kids movie, I decided that it would be appropriate for the night before the thing to have a pizza party. So we're doing a pizza party. Now, with the night before the thing, last year we had we had some fun. We did some shenanigans. We had uh, burger dogs. We did a live recording of the Memorial Bonfire podcast, which was fun, and we presented the Versi Awards. Uh, we also had uh, some special guests. One in particular, we had an Elvis impersonator, Anthony Shore, who is fantastic. All in all, it was goofy fun. The idea behind it is just, you know, celebrate the movie, but also get together with the, the fans and friends and, and meet and greet and, and have a little fun. Obviously, since it's called The Night Before the Thing, that should pretty much tell you when it is. That that would be the night before the premiere, because it's the pre- premiere pre-party. Pre-pizza party. Pre-premiere pizza party. Say that ten times fast. It is May 19th. 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. We're not sure what the, the entertainment's going to be this year, but let's just say it's always a surprise and we'll, we'll come up with something fun. But if you want, and this is the reason why I'm talking about the premiere and the pre-party in particular, so many Ps, is that advanced tickets to both events are now finally on sale. This is a bit late. We usually tend to open up advanced ticket sales a little earlier, but because I tend not to want to sell advanced tickets until I know I have a movie to show. And since I finished the film, and I will talk about that in a second, since I finished the film, I figured, well, I can release it now so I can start selling tickets because no matter what, even if I don't get the DVD done, which I will, if I don't get the DVD there on time, we can at least show the movie, which is going to be really fun. If you've never been to one of the premieres, I highly recommend it. It's not like anything you would imagine. It's not quite, it's not just going to a movie. It's not just even going to just a regular old screening with 30 people. It's usually between three and 400 people, all of whom are very excited to see this film and are big fans. And, you know, we get dressed up. I always wear a suit. It's one of the few times in the year I'll wear a tie. A lot of the ladies will, will dress up in their vintage best. The actors and crew are there to celebrate their accomplishment. Uh, and generally people are just in a good mood. And we get in there, we, we watch the movie. I, I always put in newsreels to really play up that 1950s movie vibe. Classic trailers, which I partially do just to show, just so people, when they see my movies, are like, wow, the special effects were bad. No, no, no. My special effects are good compared to some of these old ones. So I throw them in there to set the bar for what you're about to see so that you are of, of a particular mindset to, to enjoy the film correctly. And then this year, we will have an animated Canoe Cops short. And when I mean short, it's very, very short. But it's fun. And it's an exclusive that uh, you'll only ever see probably in a theater at the premiere. So this might be one of those things where you should definitely you should definitely go, even if you just want to see that, because it's more Canoe Cops. And Mike Cook, who played Gustav, is involved in making this. So that should get you even more excited. And Mike Cook, uh, who played Gustav, the Canoe Cop who was also involved in the short, will be at the premiere. So you can get his autograph as well. He actually plays a small part in, in Danny Johnson as well. So you could buy a poster, have him sign it. There you go. You're set. Please go to the website, sainteuphoria.com, S-A-I-N-T-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-A.com, and go under merchandise. There's a tab for events. That is where you can pay for advanced tickets to either event or both. 
One of the things, too, that we offer, that we offered last year, that we'll be offering again this year, is an exclusive t-shirt with the night before the thing. You can only get it there, and you have to pre-order it to get it, because we only, we only order, we only, we make them on demand, we get them, or we get them made on demand, and we only order the ones that people actually pre-order. So if you don't order and you get there thinking you want to buy one after you see it, nope, can't do that. There won't be any. So you have to pre-order. They're, they're cool mementos that you can only get at that event. You can order that and do all this stuff on SaintEuphoria.com. So I suggest you go and do it soon. A lot of these premieres for last since probably about Destination Outer Space have sold out. I think Destination was the first to sell out and it was actually the night of. Moon Zombies and almost I think everything after Destination I think has sold out in advance. So if you have any inclination to check out and enjoy a really, really fun night, and I can promise you, you'll have a good time. If you like my films, you will enjoy this experience because it's one of a kind. And, you know, no one knows what's coming next. There may not be a next. I'll be honest. There may not be a next. This might be it. This might be your last chance, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't actually know. I have not made any decisions on making more films after this one. And I know people out there who are listening is saying, ah, he says that all the time, but you know what? I promise you this is different. I've been talking about taking a year off for a long time, and there's also a part of me which I've been saying a long time as well, which is if I take a year off, I may never go back because I may enjoy having nothing to do. And that may happen. I mean, making these movies takes a hell of a lot out of me, and maybe I'll enjoy not doing it. Then again... I may make it about a week and be like, uh, I need to make another movie. So I don't know. So if that's an effective sales tactic to get you to come down to the premiere, please do. Just imagine what it would be like to miss out on what could potentially be the last Mimiverse premiere. Wouldn't, wouldn't there be a part of you if you're discovering this later and later on and you realize you could have had a chance to go and you didn't? Wouldn't you hate yourself a little bit? No. But seriously, attend the, the premiere. They're fun. I promise. Come to the night before the thing. That's fun as well. I promise. And, and, and another thing you should know about the night before the thing, there are only 40 tickets available for that. It's, we hold it in a, a hotel not too far from the Heights Theater where the premiere is being held. And the room only legally holds 50 people. Of those 50 people, 10 are already sold as of right now. 10 people. And some of that is, you know, that's me and other folks who help throw the event. But... We only have 40 tickets, so make sure you, you know, if, if you're interested in coming and hanging out and having a good time, jump on it. You don't have to buy a t-shirt, but you should come down and eat pizza with us. Okay, I, I think I would like to discuss something interesting that I, I an experience I had recently. It's, it may not seem like much in the grand scheme, but to me it was, it was interesting. I realized when I finally sat down and and watched Danny Johnson Saves the World in its entirety. I've been working on it since last June, so this has actually been a very long process. And it is, to get this out of the way, it's a great movie. I'm very proud of it, and I think people are going to love it. It's frantic, it's fun, it's quick, and all the kids do amazing in it. I mean, I know half of them are mine, and so I'm a little biased, but even the ones that aren't are really good. I mean, really good actors, and they turned in stellar performances, and those puppets, they work. They really do. And it's funny and it's fun and it's a good time. So I'm being honest with you. I mean, some of my films have not turned out as great as I, you know, as I wanted them to. I won't necessarily tell you which, but there, there definitely have been ones which I wish would have turned out better. And they didn't. And that's okay. 
This one actually surprised me with how good it turned out. Not that I didn't think it would be good. I simply didn't know if we could pull off the things we had come up with for in this, you know, come up with in the script. It's an out there script. It is. It's different. And this is the epiphany I had after watching it. For the longest time since I started, since I wrote the movie and we started making it, there was a part of me that was having a lot of trouble coming up with a good description of what it is. And by that, I mean every other movie I've made, I can pretty well sum up by comparing it to something else. What's what's the monster film like? Well, it's a lot like the creature from the haunted sea, or a really really bad version of the creature from the black lagoon. You know, I mean, it's pretty easy. It's a lake monster, teenagers in the woods, lake monster scientist. You know exactly what it is. It's a it's full of cliches. Cave Women on Mars is basically the Wild Women of Wongo. It's every one of those fifties movies, female warriors who need the strength of an Earth man to understand love kind of a thing. And then you have something like Destination Outer Space. I sum it up when I do conventions and I try to sell it to people. It's it's Ed Wood's Star Wars. That's all you need to know. That's what it is. House of Ghosts. It's a William Castle movie. It's a haunted house movie. It's a house. There are ghosts. The Giant Spider. I don't have to say anything more than that. It sells itself. Danny Johnson Saves the World is... You know, I don't mean this to sort of pull myself down, but I think that Danny Johnson Saves the World is my absolute most original script. Because I sort of just made a movie based on my own ideas that really didn't have a basis anywhere else. I didn't I didn't say, you know, I want to try this, I want to try this, I want to try this. A lot of times when I make movies, I'll say, I want to make a big bug movie, so I made The Giant Spider. I want to do this. I want to make a this kind of movie. I want to make a William Castle movie. I'll do that. This one... I actually kind of wanted to make a Muppet movie, but I wanted to do it in a 50s style. And there's no such thing as a 1950s Muppet movie. Obviously, the Muppets didn't exist. Not as we know them. Maybe a twinkle in Jim Henson's eye. I don't know. But I wanted to create this movie that would be a kid's movie and a Muppet movie, in essence, but done up in 1950s style. And I realized when I sat down and watched it, I can't think of anything else that I can say, yeah, it's like this, or it's like that, or it's like this. I can't think of anything. It's unique in its own way that I'm very proud of. And it's something I was not expecting because I, yeah, I just wasn't going for that. And it just kind of happened. And so that's part of the, even with the title, Danny Johnson Saves the World, it doesn't tell you anything. It's about someone named Danny Johnson saving the world, but from what? The giant spider tells you what you need to know. The monster of Phantom Lake tells you what you need to know. Cave Woman on Mars, House of Ghosts, they tell you exactly what you need to know. All we know is that someone named Danny Johnson is saving the world. And then when you see the poster, I made sure that when I made that poster, I put all the images of the things that, you know, because I am gearing this sort of toward younger kids, and it's not just for little kids. I just want people to know that. It is for adults as well. But I, I thought if I were eight, which I was at one time, what would I want to see in a 50s movie? What kind of things? And I threw it all in there. I mean, there's a robot. There are little aliens. And, and this is all in the poster. There's a dinosaur. I mean, how cool is that? Monsters and, and flying saucers. And, and that's just it. I think Danny Johnson saves the world. If you look at the poster, I think the poster sells it very well. If you were an eight-year-old kid and you were walking by my table at a convention and you saw this, you're looking at all my films, you're like, oh, okay, giant spider, that's kind of scary. And then you see, oh, this one has dinosaurs, this one has monsters, and there's a robot. I mean, come on, everything a kid could want, right? 
So that was kind of, maybe it's my kitchen sink movie. It's, well, what are the things I want to see if I were a kid? So I made a kid's movie for myself, and it turned out magnificent. I think it's really fun, and it's going to be one of those movies that I think when people see it, it's going to start, they're going to have fun through it, and then just when it's over, they'll be like, that's it, I want more. And I even did that when I was making it. I wanted more, and that's why I added extra scenes, because I wanted more. And it turned out great. I'm very proud of it, and I'm very proud of all the people who worked on it. And I cannot wait to reveal it to the world. Less than two months. Which is why I'm going to keep this audio cast somewhat very short. Because I need to get back to work. So, before I go, because this is all I really have to say right now. um, Before I go, I started something last month that I want to do again. Which I thought was really fun. Which was, I read Amazon reviews of my films. Specifically, The Giant Spider last time. And some of them are, are, are... pretty interesting. <laughs> and I get a kick out of them, uh, online reviews, simply because you get you run the gamut. You get people who absolutely love your stuff, and then there's people who will destroy it uh, because they're angry, I guess. Uh, or because they just genuinely didn't like it and it wasn't for them. And I had to I discussed this last month. Check out last month's for that discussion. So I, I'm going to read a few Amazon reviews, but instead of just doing the giant spider, I'm going to jump around a little bit, okay? I'm going to start with the bad. There's a house of ghosts. And they hated this movie a little bit. It's entitled, Are You Kidding Me? by Midnight Hour. I wasn't kidding you. Midnight Hour, I'm sorry. Uh, This is what they say. A movie? Question mark. It is about 15 minutes long, and five of those minutes are taken up by the director telling you how scared you are going to be. It never takes place being scared, that is. Oh, I'm sorry. Being scarred. S-C-A-R-D. I know they meant scared, and it's a typo, but... I think that I have a right as the guy who made this movie. If you're going to rip my movie apart, I can rip apart your poor spelling. Don't throw away your money on this one. That's the thing. You're not throwing away your money. You're helping independent cinema to thrive. That's what you're doing. So I'm sorry, Midnight Hour, that you were never scarred or scurred, scarred, scared. There's an E in scared. Okay, moving on. This one is actually from this year, written by Karen in January, about Attack of the Moon Zombies. And this is one of those that uh, is kind of, it's good and bad at the same time. But not like uh, ones where they say it was so bad, it was great. It's more, it starts kind of, I don't know, you'll see. Karen wrote, she gave it three stars, so very middle of the road, out of five. And and the title is, My five-year-old grandson loved it. Purchased for him since zombies are all the dot, dot, dot. I'm guessing it should be rage. There's part of me that thinks that maybe five-year-olds should not be watching zombie stuff. At least not the actual hardcore Dawn of the Dead type stuff. But my movies are appropriate for a five-year-old. If you have a kid who really wants to get into horror at five, my movies are pretty well a good way to go. Anyway, Karen says, and this is her review. This gets three stars due to quote-unquote averaging. My five-year-old grandson loved it. Purchased it for him since zombies are all the rage and I figured this would be harmless enough. True. He loved it. However, his parents wanted to poke their eyes out. They said it was pure torture to set through it. Okay. Well, I'm glad that your, your grandson loved it. I really am. I think... You should consider, if you love Attack the Moon Zombies, checking out all the other films, but especially Danny Johnson Saves the World when it comes available on May 20th. There's a little bit of a regionalism here in that 
she writes that his parents said it was pure torture to set through it. Not sit through it. Set, S-E-T. I would, I would knock her for a spelling error, but I believe it was not a spelling error so much as a regionalism. I would say sit through it. They would say sit through it. I hope they didn't actually poke their eyes out. However, I'm really glad he loved it. Moving on. This one uh, is for cave women on Mars and comes from someone named David Shelton. He gave it one star. And he obviously, as you can tell, did not like it. And the title of his review is A Bad Retro. And he says, A Very Bad Movie. You should be able to get a refund on this movie made by angry fourth graders. Okay. Maybe you should. If you, you know, if the movie were actually made by angry fourth graders. Maybe that is refund worthy. However, I am of the opinion that if you spend money on something and you sit through it, but don't like it, you're still out that money. You paid for the experience. The fact that you didn't like it does not mean you're entitled to a refund. Now, if halfway through, perhaps your DVD crapped out or it didn't work at all, yeah, okay, you should probably get your money back, right? You can't go see a movie or play or something and just just because you hate it, you get your money back. You know what? Hating something is part of the experience of being a human being. Sometimes you hate stuff. Sometimes you have a bad experience. It happens. It's okay. But thank you very much. Um, I am working on my fourth grade anger. I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, this one is for the late night double feature. Five stars by Deb Boslaw in October of 2014, and, and Deb said, as expected. See, that sounds kind of like, it's just kind of like, well, you know, it sounds kind of like just a, a throwaway little as expected, but it gave it five stars. So were they expecting five? Was it, did they mean that they, they were expecting it to be great and, and that it would be worth five stars? So therefore they gave it five stars because it was, it, it was as expected. I don't know, but I'll take it. Five stars is good. Now, the final one comes from Robert I. Hedges, who is one of the top 500 reviewers on Amazon, which is awesome. And this is for the Monster of Phantom Lake. And this one's actually from February 2015. And it's, I'm going to read just the first paragraph because it's actually two paragraphs, but I like this. I like this. He says about the Monster of Phantom Lake Christopher R. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the title of it is Love Amongst the Algae, which I love. Here we go. Five stars. Christopher R. Mims' first feature film made as a tribute to his dad who loved these films. The Monster in Phantom Lake succeeds as an homage to the sci-fi genre of the 1950s, and it's a monster musical, too, which would have made the late great filmmaker Ray Dennis Steckler proud. The film opens with very light 55-gallon drums of toxic waste being dumped in Phantom Lake. I've handled 55-gallon drums, and in reality, they require a forklift to move. But hey, the suspension of disbelief has to start somewhere. The film captures the essence of old science fiction very well on a way lower budget than Larry Blameyer. I particularly loved the science babble about algae and eight-legged frogs, which are clearly plastic. I laughed out loud at the stock footage of the deer, which reminded me of the ornamental quail footage in Invasion of the Space Preachers, but that paled in comparison to my reaction to seeing the scaly, bucket-headed, titular monster the first time. Is that titular or titular? Whatever it is, I, I, I like both. Seeing the scaly, bucket-headed, titular monster the first time, Mim created an absolutely great creature for his initial outing. All right. Awesome. And, you know, there's other stuff. Uh, there's another whole paragraph to this, but I, I won't bore you with it because I like that. Uh, that works for me. 
Well, I guess I'll, I'll read the last sentence of the last paragraph. The other one, he goes on, he talks a lot about the, the DVD features in particular, but I do like that his last sentence is, any lover of 1950s B-movies should enjoy this film, and I'm grateful Mim has continued to make these little independent gems. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mr. Hedges. I appreciate that. And to everyone else who left reviews, good or bad, I'm glad I could entertain you, or not at all. Or at least make you want to poke your eyes out. One of the two. I mean, I'll take it. As long as you're watching my movies. That's all I care about. Okay, then. We don't have anything, sadly, this month from Monster Kid Radio. Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio has a very busy and awesome life. And I don't blame him for being busy. I know the feeling. So, what's up, Derek? If you're if you're listening, I appreciate you. And anytime you want to throw something my way, feel free. But I understand, man. No hard feelings. So instead, I'm going to... Uh, we usually have the the bad joke with Dr. Bob of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob at the end. But we're going to throw it in now. And when we come back from this fantastic bad joke, we will have another in the continuing saga of The Canoe Cops versus The Mummy. The ongoing serial written by Stephen D. Sullivan. This month, we will actually be reading Chapter 2, which... Weirdly, we've already read this because this was the original one-off that inspired the rest. But because we started a couple of months ago with chapter zero and then did chapter one last month, we're going to replay chapter two so that those who've been listening since the beginning can stay where they are. We have at least chapters three and four to look forward to in the future as well. So for the next couple of months, this will continue. And remember, if you like it, let Steve know. Uh, find him on Facebook. Find him on his website, which is stephendsullivan.com. Okay, so take it away, Dr. Bob. When we come back, Canoe Cops. <laughs> it is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Mimiverse Joke of the Month. A kid swallowed a coin, and it got stuck in his throat. His mother was yelling for help, and a man came walking by, and he knew just what to do. He hit him in the small of the back, and the coin popped out. Oh, thank you, doctor. I don't know how we could... Oh, oh, oh. I'm not a doctor. I'm from the IRS. Just a little joke for everyone out there who has to pay their taxes in a couple of weeks. And come out April 11th to the ghastly love of Johnny X at the Gateway Film Center. Thank you, Dr. Bob. All right, so here we go. Chapter 2 of the Canoe Cops vs. the Mummy ongoing serial. And this is entitled The Incident in the Lake, a.k.a. The Mummy's Ring by Stephen D. Sullivan. And it goes a little something like this. You must help me, Officer Agar, the guy pacing my office says in a thick accent. I can't quite figure out where he's from, but I know it's a long way east of Wisconsin. Maybe Brooklyn. I give the visitor my best professional canoe cop look. Exactly what can I do for you, Mr... Uh... Oh, forgive me, the guy says. He's short and squat with dark skin and eyes. He's wearing a natty suit and one of those... What do you call those stovepipe hats without a brim? Oh, oh yeah, Fez. I am Hawass. Dr. Ardath Hawass. He gives me a little bow, then goes back to pacing. Pleased to meet you, Doc, I say. Not from around here, are you? I have recently sojourned to America from my native land of Egypt, he replies. I was on my way to join the staff of the Minneapolis Museum of Antiquities when I chanced to pass through this benighted hamlet. I grin because my bet about him being from the east of here is dead on. Like I was saying, how can I help you, Dr. Hawass? 
The drivers I hired to transport my possessions were imbeciles, he tells me, and perhaps drunkards as well. They never should have taken a truck that size over such a narrow causeway. No wonder they ended up driving over the side and into this accursed lake. Now you just hold on a second there, mister, I say. Some pretty weird stuff may happen around Phantom Lake, but we're still an eastern Wisconsin tourist destination. Plenty of people love to come here. Fishing's great, winter or summer. Yes, of course, he says with another little bow. Forgive me, I am merely upset. But these Cretans drove all of my possessions into the lake, and the police tell me they can do nothing about it. They say you, canoe cops, are the only ones who can help me. That's true, I tell him. The police may be the law of the land, but their jurisdiction ends at the shoreline. If it happens on the water, we canoe cops take care of it. I hook my thumb at my chest because, you know, I'm proud of the job. Don't know that we could drag a truck out of that part of the lake, though. Water's pretty deep near Gordon's Causeway. I have forsaken any hope of regaining most of my possessions, Hawass explains. But there is one thing I must recover. A fabulous ruby ring. It has been in my family for over a thousand years. Please, Officer Agar, can you help? He looks pretty forlorn at his prospects. I scratch my head because this is a little out of line with what we ordinarily do. But you know us canoe cops. Faithful and true and always game for whatever it takes to get the job done. We'll give it a shot, Dr. Hawass, I reply. Can you tell me about where we might find this trinket? It is in a carved wooden jewelry box, contained within a larger shipping crate in the back of the truck, he says. The container was marked fragile. There are only two such crates in the truck. What's the other one, I ask? Your mom's china? For a moment, the guy seems like he doesn't want to answer. Then he says, merely some ancient artifacts. Nothing to be concerned about. If you could bring me the jewelry box containing the ring, though, I would be most grateful. We'll see what we can do, I say, shaking his hand. How can we reach you? I will be staying at Banning's boarding house for the fortnight. I hope that you will be able to recover my ring before I need to move on to the city. We'll do our best, Doc, I assure him. He bows and leaves, and I get on the phone. Usually in a case that involves some scuba work like this, I'll call on Officer Kelton to dive with me. I'm a good frogman, but only an idiot dives alone in these waters. The undertow can be wicked near Gordon's Causeway, and once you're caught in it, well, nobody's going to see you again. Anyway, normally I'd call on Ed Kelton, but after that scare he had earlier this summer, I'm not sure he's up to it. With him out of the running, there's only one person in Phantom Lake besides me to make that dive. Julie Browning. Her father runs the local dive shop, and I'd trust that girl with my life, even if she wasn't in the Paddle Girl Auxiliary, which she is. So I give Julie a buzz, and because she's a good egg, she agrees to do this treasure hunt dive with me right away. An hour later, the two of us are standing at the edge of Gordon's Causeway, where the truck went over, hooking up our scuba gear. I hadn't seen Julie this summer, and I'd almost forgotten what a dish she is. She looks a lot better in a skin-tight white wetsuit than I do, that's for sure. Ready? I ask, making sure my mouthpiece is clear and my regulator is working properly. You bet, she says, doing the same. We finish checking our gear and then jump into the chilly embrace of Phantom Lake. The water near the shore starts out reasonably clear, but like I told Hawass, it gets fairly deep near the causeway, so the deeper we go, the darker it gets. Pretty soon, Julie and I break out the underwater flares so we can get a better look around. The flares cast a creepy reddish light everywhere, but they get the job done. We'd have a real hard time spotting the truck without them. Spot it we do, though, lying on the lake bed, half on its side. It's one of those canvas-covered jobs, and the back gate is hanging open. A bunch of boxes have spilled out from inside and are lying in the mud amid the lake weeds. Julie and I swim down to the cargo, our flares casting eerie shadows across the truck and all around the lake bottom. 
The two big boxes Hawass mentioned are easy to find. They're about seven feet long and four feet square on top and bottom. They're sticking up out of the mud like big, crooked tombstones. My dive partner gives me the thumbs up and starts prying open the first crate with her diving knife. I use my knife and do the same on the second box. We set our flares on the lake bottom, sticking them upright so the silt doesn't smother them while we work. I've just about got my crate open when I hear some kind of muffled sound, and all of a sudden, Julie's flare goes out. I turn, and in the flickering light from my flare, I spot Julie struggling with this weird figure. It's hard to make out through the underwater semi-darkness, but the thing looks like a man made of seaweed. Julie's all tangled up in it, and though she's still got her regulator in her mouth, I can hear her strangled cries mingling with the hiss of her tank's air bubbles. My heart's pounding as I swim over to her as fast as I can. I slash at the thing's weedy arms with my knife, but I'm so rattled that I nearly stab Julie instead. Her eyes go wide behind her scuba mask, and I know she's screaming at me too now, because I'm a dope, as well as at the monster. She must have dropped her knife, because it's not in her hands, but she's pounding away at the thing with her fists. I fight down my nerves and slash again, taking better aim this time. With a quick stroke, I cut through the fibrous tendrils once, twice. Then she's free, and both of us are swimming away from the monster as fast as we can. I turn back to see if the thing is following us, but it's just bobbing there in the current. I tap Julie on the leg, and we both stop and take a better look. Sure enough, the thing's just swaying gently in the undertow. When it doesn't come after us, we swim back, slowly, cautiously. I nearly laugh when I see what it is, and though I can't hear her underwater, I think Julie must be laughing, too. She lights another flare and then digs around the muck near the crate. Pretty soon, she finds her knife next to her old flare, which she must have knocked over when she was struggling with the monster. She points at my crate, and the two of us make a quick job of searching it. It doesn't take us long to turn up Hawass's jewelry box. We check to make sure the ring is still inside before ascending back to the surface. I tell you, Julie says as she's pulling off her gear, when I got tangled up in that thing, I thought I was wrestling the monster of Phantom Lake. I chuckle and smile at her. Come on, Jules. You know there's no Phantom Lake monster. But if I were in your position, that's probably what I'd have thought, too. How'd you get so wrapped up with it? I just opened the box and it practically fell on me, she says. I was so startled that I dropped my knife and next thing I knew, good thing I was there to help you. My hero, she says. She flashes me a dazzling smile and I feel like a million bucks. Hey, I say, you think that maybe later we could go out for coffee or something? First things first, tiger shark, she says. Two of us still have a job to do. So we call up Banning's boarding house and quick as a wink, Dr. Hawass meets us back in my office at Canoe Cops HQ. Why didn't you tell us that you had a mummy in that other box? I ask him. I did not think it important enough to mention, Hawass replies. Not important, Julie says, incredulous. That thing just about scared us half to death when it fell out of that box and on top of me. Julie got tangled up in the wrappings, I explain. I had to cut her free. How unfortunate, Hawass says. I apologize most deeply for the misunderstanding. The mummy is Rahotep, a minor Egyptian official from the 13th dynasty, not even worth rescuing from the lake bottom. I'm sorry if it gave you such a fright. He bows deeply, just to make his point. Now tell me, did you get the ring? We got it all right, I say, handing the trinket to him. It's a beaut. Heavy gold inscribed with hieroglyphs and set with a ruby the size of my fingernail. We brought up something else as well, Julia adds. This came off from around the mummy's neck during our tussle. She holds out a pendant covered with Egyptian symbols and semi-precious stones. I can't say for certain that it's gold, but it sure looks like it. Hawass bows again. I cannot tell you how delighted I am with your success, he says, grinning like the cat that ate the canary. As a reward, why don't you keep the pendant? I shake my head. All in a day's work, I remind him. Canoe cops can't take rewards for doing their jobs. But Miss Browning is not a cop, Hawass points out. 
Perhaps she could keep it. Could I, Rich? She asks, her blue eyes all big and irresistible. I scratch my head. Well, there's nothing in the regulations about battle girls not accepting gifts. It's settled then, Hawass says. He bows once more and heads for the door. I guess you'll be leaving town now that you've found your ring, I call after him. He pauses at the threshold. Perhaps, he says, though it seems a waste not to spend at least a few more days in your charming bucolic community. Then he smiles and steps to the door. Funny little man, Julie says after he's gone. Yeah, I reply, eyeing the jewelry in her hand. Generous, too. Though I've got a funny feeling we haven't seen the last of that guy. Julie drapes her new present around her neck and looks at me with those killer baby blues. Could be, she agrees. But first, I hope we'll have time for that cup of coffee. She holds out her arm, expecting me to take it. I lube my elbow around hers and grin. Personally, I'm hoping we'll have time for a lot more than coffee. The End All right, that's good stuff. Thank you guys so very much for listening and make sure to pick up your premiere tickets and your pre-party tickets while they last. I cannot guarantee that they will. And I would love to meet you all at the premiere. Make sure you stop on by and say hello. Check out the events section of the website. We got a lot of cool events coming up and you should come to all of them or most of them, some of them, at least one. And that should be the premiere. If you want to do two, do the pre-party as well. Thank you very much. And I'll talk to you again in May. And remember, be good. And if you can't do that, be good at it. Later, y'all.